our uh, wonderful study of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. We've gone through some really good theology about being saved by grace and just who we are in Christ to what that looks like. We've gone from teaching to practical lifestyle. How do you do this? What does it look like? And that's where we are now in Ephesians 6. We look at relationships, key relationships. Last week, Stuart talked about wives and husbands. This week, we'll talk about children and parents, bond servants, and masters. We're reading 6 1, chapter 6, 1 through 9. And that is on page 1, I think that's yeah, 1, 2, 4, 5 in your uh, Bible. Let's see what Paul has to say to us. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. This is right. Honor your mother and father. This is the first commandment with a promise that it will go well with you and that you may live long and in the land. Fathers, do not provoke children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. <clears throat> Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or his free. And masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Author and sociologist Tony Campolo tells a true story about something that happened at the Tiffany's department store in New York one day. It seems that Tiffany's was having a tight budget, and so they laid off several of their employees one afternoon at the end of the day. And then they, the managers left, and some of those disgruntled employees got together and hatched a plan to kind of get back at Tiffany's. So when everyone else left the store, they stayed behind, and they did their deal, and they left. And the next morning, chaos ensued. As they opened the doors of Tiffany and people began coming in, they discovered that all the price tags had been switched. A Rolex watch was going for $5.10. A pen and pencil set were going for $5,000. A tennis racket went for $3,000. And a diamond ring went for $2.50. $2.50. It was chaos. People began hearing about this, and there was a riot going on. They had to shut the store down and send everybody out and refix the price tags. All the price tags had been switched. The expensive became inexpensive. The inexpensive became extravagant. That's what the Lord, Jesus, and Paul says happens to people who come to know Jesus. All the price tags have been switched. The things that we think are great in the world become unimportant. And the things that we think are important, all the price tags are switched. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about how we do family and how we do work. All the price tags have to be switched from our worldly paradigm to a kingdom of God paradigm. You see, Paul's talking to a first century world, a first century world in which women were property, Either the Romans that were there in this house church, this letter from Paul comes to this house church, and there's everyone in there, Romans, wives, slaves, children, they're all in a house church, not like this. And when they open this parchment, they're stunned that all the price tags have been switched. He's talking to a first century world where women are property and have no say, where children definitely are property, you can treat them how you want, and they have no say, 
And of course, slaves are not even human. They don't even have an identity. They don't have a say in anything. And Paul flips all around because Jesus flips all that around. In fact, there's a famous prayer in the Pharisees. This isn't just the Romans that have this horrible patriarchic property iniquity in their society. Even the Jews. In fact, guess what? A Pharisee, a man, a male Pharisee prayed every morning. He prayed this prayer. Lord, I thank you that I'm not a woman, a child, or a Gentile. That was the Pharisaical prayer. And Jesus comes in and he flips all the price tags over. He shows up and says, I'm changing everything. He says this in Scripture. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Then he goes on to say that the the disciples are arguing about who will be the most important in the kingdom of God and who's going to be sitting high up on the throne. And Jesus pulls them together and says, you don't get it. I'm switching everything. I'm flipping the the pyramid, the hierarchy upside down. Here's what hierarchy is in heaven. It shouldn't be among you. It says this, whoever would be great among you will be your servant, and whoever would be first among you will be your slave. The greatness in the kingdom of God is not where your position is and how many people serve you and how many people look up to you and how high up the chart you are, but how many people you serve, how many people you're serving. That is the kingdom of God. All the price tags have been switched. And so when you look at this letter, Paul gets that. He says it because look at, how he, look at who he talks to and how he talks to them. So these elders, these, these men roll up in this parchment in this little church in Ephesus, and all of a sudden it's all equal. As Paul says, there's no female, there's no male, there's no Gentile, there's no Jew, there's no slave, there are no free men. It's equal footing at the cross. And if you think that Christianity is chauvinistic or patriarchal or racist, you don't know the scriptures. This is the first culture to give dignity to women, children, and slaves. That's what Jesus does. And Paul says, here's what it looks like. And look at it. He's talked, when, he, when they open this in the last chapter, who does he talk to first? The wives, not the men. That would have been shocking. That's switching the price tags. And they said, let's talk about families. Who does he address? Children. Children like, they're, they're in the back doodling and, and not listening to the sermon just like they do today. And Paul talks to the children. You have value. You're part of the body of Christ. I want you to know we care about you. And then he talks to the dads. And then, shock. He acknowledges and addresses the slaves. Either these captured uh, foreigners who the Romans have made it, it put into slavery, or these Jewish bond servants that are working their way free, they're servants. He says, you are important too. He addresses the slaves before the masters. He flips the world upside down. He says, this is what the body of Christ looks like. Everyone has dignity. Everyone's made in the image of God. Everyone is treated equally in the body of Christ. There's no male, female, slave, free man, Jew, Gentile. This is what true followers of Christ looks like. It shakes people up. And then notice the order, if you will, before we get into the practicality. Notice how important the order is. This is not about hierarchy, but it's about roles. The primary thing he talks about first is the marriage. The first thing in these families, and the first part of our culture that has to be priority and protected is the relationship between a husband and wife. That's key. It's more important than your children, more important than your job. It is only second to Jesus Christ is the marriage, is the fabric of the Christian culture. Then it goes to the family, parents and children. That's the second priority. Notice that children aren't first like they are in our helicopter parent society today. The children are not the center of the family. The marriage is the center of the family. 
then the children, and then comes work or employment. Work is not the first, and then family, and then marriage. No, work is after marriage and after children. And it's a dysfunctional society, Paul says, that lives elsewhere. And a dysfunctional family that idolizes and worships children or work over the marriage and over the family. Paul gets that. And then he starts talking practically. He talks about these relationships. Let's talk about children. Let's talk about fathers, meaning parents and even church elders. Let's talk about slaves. And they're bond servants or in our culture, employees. Let's talk about masters or employee, excuse me, employer, employees and then employers. This is talking about these four relationships and how following Jesus switches the price tags. He says it's not about our theology, it's about our relationships. It doesn't matter how much we know about Jesus if we don't treat each other the way Jesus called us to. Children and parents. Some of you are not going to be familiar with this, some of you will. Right now in our culture, the college kids I work with and young adults, there's a popular song out called Rude by a group called Magic. And it kind of shows you this tension between a younger generation, a parent, and a child. This young man's in love with this man's daughter. He says, I, I got up early, and I rushed to the house of my girlfriend's. I knocked on the door with my heart in my hand, and I asked you a question. I know you're an old-fashioned man. Can I have your daughter for the rest of my life? Say yes, say yes. I need to know. Say I'll get your blessing. And the guy says, you'll never get my blessing. The father says, you'll never get my blessing. Tough luck. The answer is no. And the whole course of this song is, why you got to be so rude? Don't you know I'm human too? Why you got to be so rude? I'm going to marry her anyway. And here's the classic statement of, of this young adult culture. I'm going to marry her anyway. We're going to run away. I'm going to marry that girl no matter what you say. We're going to be a family. Why you got to be so rude? You've left me no choice. That's that tension of parents letting their kids go and of, of, of children trying to respect their parents. And, and Paul deals with that. What's funny though, if you go online, there's a dad's response to that song. And you should go check it out. This dad, he's a youth minister in Nashville. He, kinda, he has a young daughter. He kind of writes his rebuttal to that song. Friend, I just met you. Why would I let you marry my baby? Going to have to make more than burgers and fries for that to happen. <laughs> and, he, and, and he sings the chorus. Why you got to call me rude? Why you got to call me rude? I'm doing what a dad should do. Keep her from a fool like you. <laughs> He says this, you want to marry that girl? I'm going to punch your face. You want to marry that girl? They'll find you at the bottom of the lake. And he says, I may be a Christian, but I'm willing to do some prison time. I'm willing to do hard time for that daughter of mine. Do you see the tension here? The tension. And Paul says, there's got to be mutual respect. There's got to be dignity here. He talks about how children should. And he talks to children first. It's real straightforward. Two things. Children, obey your parents and honor your parents. Obey and honor. My friends, I don't know if you know, we're living in a child-centered culture. In the 50s, it was all about the dad, and the family kind of revolved around the dad in the old school. And in the baby boomers, the family revolved around mom and dad because they just wanted to be happy. It was the me generation. But in the ex and millennials, the family revolves around the children. It's a child-based society, almost in reaction to the baby boomers. But it's not healthy. All the movies and the most popular movies right now, these teen films, are all about these incredible young people that saved the world. It's not the parents, it's not the face, it's not adults, it's kids. It's Hunger Games, where 21-year-olds saved the whole culture. It's Harry Potter, where teenagers saved the world from evil. Not that they're bad movies, but that the culture media understands that's the audience they have. It's all about children not needing parents. They have Wikipedia, there's YouTube, there's Pinterest. Why do we need you? 
and it's a dangerous trend. There's actually a Super Bowl commercial that still plays. And when we look at that, if you've been a parent, you should just shake your fist. A soccer mom drives up in her minivan. She gets out and she's filled with groceries and she's carrying two sacks of groceries across her yard and she says this, can I, to her eight-year-old and nine-year-old boy who are playing, can I get a little help? And the son says, I don't know, can you? And the mother says, there's Doritos in the car. And the son, being bribed by cheap snack food, rides his dog to the car, grabs the Doritos, and he's like the Lone Ranger. That's what our culture is saying is okay. It's all about our children and a lack of respect. And Paul says, young people, if you really say you believe in Jesus, if you're really wise, there's two things. And he's talking to these kids in this church. He just says... Followers of Christ don't treat their parents like that. They obey their parents until they're out on their own and their own income, and they honor them throughout their lives. And our culture is, is, is destroying that and, and, and not encouraging children to obey and honor. I don't know about you, but <laughs> what is it? Every dad says that when, I'm eight, when my son was 18, I was the dumbest man in the world, and when he's 28, I'm the smartest man in the world. How'd that happen? What changed? Isn't it interesting, we say to young people, the one name that the head of the Trinity, the creator of the universe, the one personal pronoun he calls himself is what? Father. And it's proven that the relationship and the impact our dad has on us impacts our relationship with God the Father. How we view our earthly father affects how we view our heavenly father. We encourage our young people to work on that. Someone wisely said, and I say this to young people, you want to know how... Ladies, you want to know what kind of husband that guy's going to be? Look at his relationship with his mom. Gentlemen, you want to know what kind of wife she's going to be? Look at, how, look at her relationship with her dad. Paul says, our kids need to be encouraged to honor and obey. And it's even a command that has a promise. The other commands are like, if you do this, you're going to suffer. You commit adultery, you're going to suffer. You steal, you're going to suffer. If you honor your mother and father and obey them, guess what? You're going to have a good life. Your culture is going to survive. You will live long. It comes with a promise. In our switch price tag world, we've lost some of that. We've lost the ability to say we need to parent our children. But it's funny how we're supposed to do that. Because it goes up next to the fathers. Very interesting word here with the fathers, talking to the children. This is an interesting word, this Greek word here. The ESV says do not... It's funny, he doesn't start off and say... You control your kids, or you, you parent your kids, or get those kids under control, or they should not be seen and not heard. There's none of that authoritarian stuff. Paul says this. He starts off with this. You know what he says first to, to dads, because it needs to be said a lot of times? Don't provoke them. The Greek word is don't exasperate them. Don't fret, cause them to fret and fear. Don't provoke them to anger. This authoritarian Rules without relationships will provoke children. You'll exasperate them. And children can be exasperating, especially when they go into that cave of high school to, to come out of the other side somewhere. Mark Twain, Mark Twain, the writer, the non-Christian writer said, you know what my advice is about children? When you have a child, put them in a wooden barrel, nail the top down and feed them through the hole. When they get to be teenagers, plug the hole up. That's an exasperated dad. <clears throat> But look at the, look at, look at the prodigal. Not, the the story is really not about the prodigal son, is it? It's about the dad. 
Well, Jesus' favorite story and longest story and favorite parable with people and characters in it is about a real father. It's not about an abusive father. It's not about an authoritarian father. It's just about the rules. It's not about an absentee, cats in the cradle, not there, too busy father. It's not about an apathetic father that says, do what you want. It's about an authentic father who has boundaries, who lets his son leave, but it breaks his heart and is there when his son needs to come back. That's what Paul says Christian fatherhood looks like. And if you're like me, as a single dad, I struggled with that. It's not easy, but it's the right thing. My daughter Chandler, who's getting ready to have my first grandbaby here in a week or two, she said, Dad, you made a lot of mistakes, but I never doubted that you loved me. That's what he says. I never doubted that you loved me. James Dobson says, you know what good parenting is? It's like a kid's ink coach. You've been a kid's ink coach. It's like, it's like a, a dad or a mom in sports. If you go to a t-ball game with elementary kids, you go to a, 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 a junior, you know, Mavericks or kid's ink football, guess where the parents are? They're on the field. They're standing right there. They're pitching the ball. They're standing behind first base. They're on the field. But then when they move into middle school and high school, guess where the parents are? They're on the sideline coaching. They're still giving instruction. They may still be sending the plays on. But then guess when the kid is in high school and college, guess where they are? They're the fans in the stands. James Dobson said, good parenting is to know when to get off the field and to be on the sideline, when to get off the sideline and be the fan in the stands. And if we don't make that adjustment, our kids will be exasperated. And guess what Paul says the parents should do? He doesn't say do this, this, and this and give them a bottle of rules. He says the number one thing a Christian parents can do is instruct your children in a discipline of the Lord. There's a lot of things we can give our kids. Money, skills, presents, whatever. But Paul says, you know, the real thing that godly parents give their children is instruction in the Lord. It's to love the Lord your God. It's to love Scripture. It's to love the truths of the Bible, to love Jesus. That's the greatest thing we can give our children. Let me take a little aside here for a second as a a minister with young adults in college that you've given Lisa and I and others the privilege of doing, you talk about that same concept. I think as elders in a church and as folks that have been further, that Paul gives us the same challenge. Elders, adults, don't exasperate your young people. Don't provoke your young people. Unfortunately, less than one out of ten kids, when they graduate from high school and leave a youth group, only one out of ten kids continue in their faith, continue in their church at their college. Talk to Bruce and Rosie about that. Christian kids, millennial kids, leave our churches and don't go to church. It's a sad thing that our kids are leaving the denomination. Millennial kids are bailing out of the church by the tens of thousands because we've exasperated them because they want to see not an abusive church, not an authoritarian church, not an apathetic church that says, that's just kids. Let's stick them down in the basement. Let's throw some food at them. They don't want that. Not an apathetic. They want an authentic church that says, we're not going to put you at the kiddie table. You can come sit at the adult table. You can have input. We'll listen to you. If we need to change the worship style, we'll change it. If we need to change the carpet or the dress code, we're willing to do that. We're willing to make some changes. These kids want authenticity. They want to know more about the bloodstained cross than they do about the stained glass window. They want to know more about the body of Christ than they do about this building. They want to know more about biblical living than they do about tradition. They want to have relationships versus religion. 
And thank you for being that kind of church that sends that signal to these young people. When our church stood up for biblical fidelity and biblical definition of marriage and biblical definition of who can be ordained and be an elder, our young people looked and said, that's for real. Thank you for standing up for the scriptures. Thank you for being that kind of church. Can we be, be that kind of church that doesn't exasperate our young people to hold on to biblical truth and values but be willing to change our cultural opinions? It's challenging. And let's move on. He talks about slaves. Now, this is a weird one for us, slavery. A couple of things here real quick. Understand, this is not slavery like the African-American sl- horrible heresy of slave, evil of slave trading that he's talking about that we've experienced later in culture. This is not the slavery that dis- destroyed and split our country. This is two kinds of slavery. The Romans had slaves that they won in battle. That's more of the kind of old slavery where they owned these people, they had no say, they could buy and sell them. There are those slaves that Paul is talking to, but there's also, when you talk to the Jews, they're called bond servants. People either because of not being Jewish or because of their financial situation would be indentured servants. They would be financially obligated to a family to be a server, somewhat like a butler, but they would be paid and they could buy themselves to freedom. They didn't have rights, but it wasn't the horrible slavery that our country experienced. Paul doesn't address the evil of slavery here. That's not his agenda. He's more concerned about changing the hearts of that culture before, before slavery gets abandoned. And lo and behold, when you treat people with equity, when you treat people on a level foot at the cross, level ground, Christians rise up as they did in the British Parliament, as they did in the United States, and they abolish slavery, and they give women rights, and they give the races rights. Those are Christian movements caused by changing people's hearts first, and then they change their... <laughs> change how they treat each other. So he's talking, for us, the culture would be employees. He's talking about work. And Paul says this. He says to the slaves, he says, show by your faith and by your hard work integrity who your real master is. That if you're an employee, the way we show who Jesus is, is not by hating our boss and by sliding our work and by stealing from our company and working as little as we can and punching the clock. That's what happens when you work for men. That's what happens when you work for a company. But Paul says, work as if you're working for the Lord. Render service that Jesus is your boss, that Jesus is who you work for. And by doing so, you will win your master over. You'll win your boss over. You don't have to come in with a cross and a bumper sticker and pamphlets. Do your work well. Work in excellent. Work as if unto the Lord. And that's what changes people's lives. It's a stronger testimony than anything we could say is how we work in excellence, in integrity, with gentleness towards each other. Martin Luther King has a great statement. He says, it doesn't matter what your job is or how much you're making. He says, if a man's called to be a street sweeper, I love this quote, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, and back then he meant with a broom, he should sweep streets even like Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Work as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter what you pay. The paycheck doesn't matter. The company doesn't matter. It's doing work for the Lord. That will be pleasing to the Lord. Are we great employees? Do we change people not by saying, come to my church and come hear my preacher, but look at how I work for Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about. We went to Honduras with 27 young adults from your community. They told testimonies. They sang great. They did great Bible studies. But guess what? completely astonished the Honduran local people 
is how hard these 25-year-olds would get up at 5 in the morning and pay to be there and haul buckets of cement until 6 at night and not complain about it. That's what changed that city. That's what made Jesus real, is that these kids worked as if unto the Lord. And they were glad to come back here. <laughs> they worked hard. And then finally, switching price tags. Masters. Again, for here, he's talking to masters, Roman, Roman, Roman soldiers, uh, Jewish men that have these. He says, you really know the Lord? Here's what it looks like. You're not their master. You know you're not their master. You're not their boss. God is your master. God is your boss. And you're going to treat them like God would treat them. You're going to treat them with respect. They're not your property. You're a steward, just like we're stewards of our kids. We're stewards of our employees. They're made in his image. Serve your employees. Guess what the number one reason why people quit their jobs? Ask Dan Crow, ask managers, ask Trent Morris. The number one reason people quit their jobs is not because of a paycheck. It's not because of the job. It's because of their boss. And that's where we as Christians can make a difference. We can show people, not by talking about Jesus, by showing them, by serving our employees. I have a, a doctor that he goes around with me. He speaks professionally about pain, and my company pays him way too much money, <laughs> a lot of money to speak to other doctors about my drugs. But you know what that doctor does because he's a believer? He goes back to his office, cashes that check, and splits it equally with his employees. They never have problems showing up on time. They don't cut corners. They don't steal from him. Trent Morris, who knows the Lord and is the overseas workforce solutions, I speak there a lot. Those people love their job and love them because of the way Trent treats them with dignity. Brian Kelleher and Amanda that run 575 Pizza, they hire tough kids. They hire second-chance kids, at-risk kids. They help them with their finances. They help them get a car loan. They help them get their life back together. And they don't have to talk to them about Jesus a whole lot. Those kids show up at our church and at Gap two weeks later. That's what Paul says it means to work as if unto the Lord because God is their boss. So how do we do this? How do we switch price tags? How do we do this with our children, our parents, our work? How do we switch price tags? We have to switch ourselves. This is all about submission. It's all about giving up my will and listening to the will of the Lord. There's a true story this video is based on that shows a lot about what we need to do in our hearts to be these kind of people to, to switch the price tags. This is an American ship out at sea. He picks something up on a radar in his path. Again, this is the USS Montana requesting that you immediately divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Over. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. This is Captain Hancock. You will divert your course. Over. Negative, Captain. I'm not moving anything. Change your course. Over. So, this is the USS Montana, the second largest vessel in the North Atlantic fleet. You will change course 15 degrees north, or I will be forced to take measures to ensure the safety of this ship. Over! This is a lighthouse, mate. It's your call. <laughs> Hello? This is the lighthouse, mate. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Jesus Christ is our rock. Someone said there's two kinds of people. There are people that say to God, my will be done, or people that say, God, thy will be done. 
If we refuse to change the course of our life and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our marriages will fail, our parenting will be poor, our companies will fall apart. The only way we can submit to those that God has put us in charge of or put as our parents or as boss is if we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason we can submit to this Lord is because he is a good Lord and a loving master. He's such a wonderful Lord and master that he submitted to us. That he, even though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, submitted himself to his Father, and said, Thy will be done. Even though he didn't want to, he submitted to death on the cross. He submitted to sin and hell and Satan so that we could be first. He became last so that we could be the firstborn. So how are your relationships? How is your marriage? Are you serving or being served? How's your parenting? How's your relationship with your parents? Are you submitting to the Lord? Or are you fighting for control? How are your employees? How do they see you? How do you see your boss? Are we switching the price tags? What would God challenge you today to say, I need to change this with my parents, with my children, with my boss, with my employees? Where's God challenging you to switch the price tags? That's what will change the world. That's when the world will stand up and say, your Jesus is for real. Thanks.